All right, everybody, welcome to episode seven of the Ionosphere. Today, we're going to be discussing the culture war, as well as dystopia, utopia, and probably some more stuff in that vein. Uh, today, we have me, who you probably know by now, and if you don't, I'm not going to tell you. Figure it out. We have Jordan Castles joining us. The uh, mysterious masked man is unmasked. Hello there. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Jordan Castles. Uh, I'm a classicist, uh, literature scholar, I suppose. Ultimately, a bit of everything. Just a very, just a bit of an eccentric. But pleased to meet you. Nice. Pretty British. All right, we have we have Benji. Hello, everyone. I'm Benjamin George. I'm just representing normies. <laughs> we have Q. Hey, hello, everyone. I'm Q, and I guess I'm also known as Midnight Valley on Twitter. And I'm just here, I guess. <laughs> This is a disaster. <laughs> and we have James P. Daly. What's up, everybody? Name's Garrett Daly. I recently shaved my head off for absolutely no reason. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, let's get down to it. So we're going to be talking about the culture war. Um, now, one of the things that we do at Ion Media is not talk about politics except on Christmas. So, because it is not Christmas, we are going to not be talking about politics. However, because the culture war is a fairly politically tinged subject, uh, we're going to have to give this a bigger context so we can understand that the politic aspect of it is kind of an epiphenomenon, right? So, as far as I see it, and we'll go around and let everyone else uh, give their takes on what they think the culture war is, right? I'm going to argue that the resultant technological progress between the end of the 19th century and the entirety of the 20th century, right, has caused such a shift in the culture of the world that the old-fashioned cultures that used to work and that endured for a very long time cannot keep up. And as a result, we have a sect of people that are attempting to generate a new culture as a response to this shift that more or less throws out all the values of old, right? So like Nisha has the transvaluation of values. That kind of embodies it. Then there's another group of people that are trying to cling to the old culture uh, because they think that our current state is um, because we have gotten away from the old values, right? So I'm going to argue that the large, uh, you could say the left and right, but it's bigger than just left and right. These kind of phenomenon arise out of this uh, desperate need for order to be imposed, right? Uh, now, Ben's got his hand up. What do you think? Okay, so, um, yeah, I agree with what you say with like, um, with uh, culture war and stuff. Like, my take on it is that um, it could be either due to globalization or something, um, but before it was just, like your culture was really like geographically located kind of thing. It was like tied down to the where you, where you lived basically. Because I mean, we did you can people couldn't move as freely. Economic countries weren't as easy to go to. Um, also, there was more barriers. There's not as much communication. So it was more like culture was tied down to like a certain either race, nationality, or place kind of thing. 
but now with the opening not only of like like not like physical barriers but like everywhere mental barriers culture barriers and everything so i think now there's like a really big the role like mixing up and um i think we're approaching soon the meta system transition which is a word i learned the other day and um they'll probably need a new way of organizing like a, a top layer to organize all these different different cultures which used to serve their purpose before but nowadays with even though you're physically living in one place you've got influence from everywhere so like i'm from spain and i've got we've got really heavy american influence we've got really heavy german influence we've got influences from all of our music is really influenced by latin america so it's more maybe now then there needs a bit of order now so that's maybe what you were saying where some people now are trying to impose you know like in ordering all this chaos and all this complexity maybe some people want to get the most out of it all right um question before i go to james and then q do you guys have pitbull over there pitbull got the singer yeah i'm sorry fuck uh, absolutely bad i'm sorry <laughs> yeah we do right, I mean, um james what you got yeah i think the culture war is is a fight over what values are like fun fundamentally it's like what do we value the most and what don't we value what's good and what's bad it's like when we had a unified christian culture it wasn't so much of a problem because everyone believed in the same thing metaphysics and then within that you had the morality and then ever since science made it more or less impossible to believe in the metaphysics we're left with well what nothing basically so gary what you were saying there are a group of people who are trying their very best to cling on to the remnants of culture and i think the best the best attempt at that is the Jungians by basically saying that God didn't, didn't disappear. He just really went inside your head again. And when I say God, of course, I mean a system of morals, system of values, things of that nature. Whereas nowadays, because we don't have that, it's like, okay, what do we have? You know, it's like you have the, the, the radical political movements, for example, which are a religious transformation. There's, there's no other way to think of them other than that. It's like, it seems that our culture in the West has replaced god with tolerance diversity acceptance all these other words and then satan seems to be uh, at least in the mainstream satan is something like hitler and then and then hitler is basically all the bad energy ever so then people trying to equate trump to hitler it's, it's basically a christ antichrist dynamic between tolerance and trump slash conservatism so i think i think it's a it's a religious way of thinking and we'll never get out of the religious way of thinking it's just Christianity and normal religions seem to evolved, whereas our current religions in our culture are, well, they've not been around for very long, and I don't think they're going to be around for much longer, so if we destroy ourselves. Interesting. That was pretty, this is pretty dense. All right. Uh, Q, what do you think? Yeah, so, so I want to bring up three topics and try to connect them together. So one is McLuhan's tetra of uh, media technology. Next is uh, network theory. And then it's uh, Spangler's philosophy of history. So I guess we can actually start with Spangler. And what Spangler has is this uh, theory of uh, history, which basically each civilization is almost like an organism where it goes from birth to death. And we're kind of at the end of the Faustian civilization, which is what we kind of now know as uh, the Western civilization typically. And the, in the mood of the Faustian civilization is that, uh, if you know the story of Faust from Goethe, basically means that 
you're bargaining with the devil and you're trying to like expand outwards more and more. So, so the Faustian civilization, unlike the civilization that came before it, it's very oriented towards space. It wants to kind of expand out into space. And yeah, so, so we kind of see the trend of culture and technology going in that direction where it's expanding outwards more and more. Everything's becoming also much more quantified, more Apollonian rather than uh, Dionysian. And that's where we bring in the Bloom's tetrad of uh, media and technology, where we realize that uh, every technology that comes comes to us it, uh, it has four functions. So it uh, amplifies something and then uh, retrieves something from the past. It also makes something from the past uh, obsolete. And once you start to you know amplify it a lot more it started to kind of reverse on itself and really like technology and media what we see the trend is in the Faustian civilization is that just everything is getting faster and faster and everything's getting more and more connected like for example it's it's not even like the social media now it doesn't start here it starts from like the traveling technology of like and trains and stuff like everything is just people who used to be stuck in one place can now move to all, all over the world and then planes made it even faster and then internet made it even faster so now like anytime now like we're like we're all across the world from each other and we can just like connect with each other instantly so so that's where we also move into network theory and we kind of realize we're forming all these uh, types of social network clusters that weren't possible previously in other cultures and civilizations. And there's a lot you can dissect in network theory, like the game theory of networks and so on. And I think the cultural war is pretty much uh, a phenomenon of, uh, we're trying to figure out the new metagame of game theory on social networks. Yeah, that's a uh, shit, man. Between the two of those comments, there's a there's a lot. So the I guess um, the first thing I, I I'd like to hit the Apollonian Dionysian thing, right? That's something that um, there's a lot of people that have gone into depth with that uh, Paglia she talked about that extensively in sexual persona as the kind of the shift toward the Apollonian. Uh, that's a really good book. If anyone hasn't read that, although I couldn't read the second half cause I didn't know any of the literary references, but, um, so, so this is, this is the thing that I, I find is, or at least as, as far as I see it, right. We have this shift towards the Apollonian, if you want to call it that, um, we lose our attachment in the pursuit of the mind, we've lost our attachment to the body, right? I see not necessarily, uh, and I get, think some people would make the argument that the Apollonian is bad. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't make that argument. I would argue that what we have to do is figure out how to take this lofty mental concept that we have and bring it back down to connect it to reality, right? To resolve the mind-body dichotomy, to... Uh, get back in touch with the physical world and stop living in like ivory academic towers or 
behind computer screens, which I'll say with a bit of irony for the sake of this. Um, so go ahead, Q. Yeah, so that's basically Nietzsche's method mes messaging uh, the birth of tragedy. It's that, the, so he, by tragedy, he means the tragic play, and he kind of values that as the highest art form, which is like a perfect balance between the Dionysian and the Apollonian. And really, Spangler's theory is like trying to apply that to philosophy history. And then Palia also read a lot of Spangler, and she basically took her own spin. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, ben, what you got? Okay, so, I mean, I haven't read uh, McLuhan's uh, Tetrad or the or Network Theory of Spengler. So, I mean, I might not be that, you know, uh, that too philosophical on it. But, like, um, I'd like to raise the point of, like, um, why is there a benefit in winning the culture war? Maybe that will spark some ideas. But, like, if there's, you know, whoever creates, I mean, when I say whoever, I don't know. It could, I don't know who's behind all of this, who, if they're people, organizations, countries, ideologies, I'm not exactly sure. As in the benefit of being like the predominant culture or one of the predominant cultures. So I'm just launching a question. James? Yeah, the, the benefit of winning the culture war, that's, that's a really, really good question because if, if the answer is there is no benefit, it's like, well, who cares? Like, why is everyone, you know, getting their panties in a twist, so to speak? It's like, well, culture and, and ideology and belief systems, they, they basically are ways for us to all act together as, as a social cohesion, more or less. So there'll be some which are best and some which are worst at maintaining long-term stability and long-term flourishing on top. But you, like, it's really difficult to just get stability within a culture. It barely ever happens. It seems something like Christianity worked remarkably well at doing that. So when people want to start playing with value systems, like the, like the postmodern peoples do, it's like, well, it's all just arbitrary silliness and we can flip all the values on the head because of my particular rationality. That's very, very dangerous because we don't know what the hell that's going to do. That also fits in with, with some of the technology stuff that was brought up. It's like we actually do not know if the technology is going to be a good idea. Like I am a scientist in my day job. I'm a biologist, but it's like, is, is what I'm doing a good idea? I don't know. It's like maybe in the short term it is, but it's like, well, what happens long term? Like, what, 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 like, was the atomic bomb the end of the universe or the end of our universe, the human universe? Probably, if we don't have wisdom to back it up. So, it's, so you, we need to win the culture war by making sure that we survive, more or less, and, and survive in a way that means we can survive for a very long time. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. Yeah. Jordan? Um, yes. Regarding the idea of, uh, as you both put up, the idea of uh, what's the point of winning a culture war or what's the purpose or what's the value in winning it, I think the other thing to maintain, obviously, there's the question of, you know, whoever wins it is sort of maintaining the world, sort of ensuring that we don't fall into ruin. But there's also, there's another element that I've come across recently um, through a philosopher called Zapf very grim little essay by the name of the last messiah and what it kind of puts forward is the idea that cu culture is what distracts us from the desire to destroy ourselves it's it's like it, it is whoever wins the culture war gets to decide how people get distracted 
and gets to decide how we move forward in the world. So you have some very, like if, if you go and you look into popular culture, you will find some very nihilistic individuals who are sort of trying to accelerate this destructive capacity. And then you have some very creative individuals who are trying to, through various avenues, inspire the people to start acting in a more benevolent manner. So that there's a number of, there's a, it's more than just a war between two sides. It's not just traditionalists and futurists. It's not just nihilists and optimists. It's, it's a very strange free for all. And I think we have to keep that in mind. Like there's a heck of a lot going on and there's more, there's probably more than the five of us or the entirety of the audience that is watching this is probably able to comprehend at this point in time. So, trying right, to continue. Q. Q. Oh, this is my turn? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Jordan. And there's also, man, there's a lot of factors going into this. So, so I think actually, like when James brought up the point about um, postmodernism, where you're taking all these kind of unknown risks and all these like new, new, what's the word? I guess I would call them formats of value. That's not a philosophical thing, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, so you have all these new possible formats of value. And, and that's actually, I think, ultimately a very Faustian thing to do because Faust, really, when you take that Faustian gamble, you're going to the unknown. You're trying to expand on all these new possibilities. So, so in a sense, like, Postmodernism is like an evolved form of like felt being Faustian, and and we can actually tie this back to uh, uh, some of uh, Nassim Taleb's ideas, which is uh, when when you have like this new when you have a a lot of this uh, centralization, like because we assume the cultural war means that one side has to win. So so when you have that, there's a lot more risks of ruin due to centralization. But actually, there could just be a lot of localization where you kind of split up to a lot of like micro tribes where all these tiny tribes, they have shared values, but like they don't necessarily share values between each other. And this is kind of like a form of uh, deterioralization and then re-deterioralization, a term of uh, the postmodern philosopher Deleuze used. And we can actually, since this is a war, we have to talk about uh, strategy. So, so what is strategy? So, so two games that kind of like consider strategy from two different perspectives are um, Go and chess. So, so in chess, you have to eliminate the enemy. You have to capture their king and checkmate, right? That's how you win chess. And that's how people typically think about wars in the West, but really, that's not the only way you can think about war. And another way of uh, basically winning a war is to avoid risk of ruin for everyone. And that's the strategy of goal, which you don't necessarily have to completely dominate your enemy. You basically just make sure that you keep on surviving on, on your own. And, and basically after every game, you're in a more advantageous uh, position than the other side, but you're not necessarily just eliminating the other side. 
interesting. Ben, and then I'm going to go after you. Okay. Um, I'm glad that you brought out uh, Nassim Taleb because I was actually going to mention some of his ideas. And like, it was really funny because I remember one of his tweets or something, maybe it wasn't him, but I know he's been talking about it. It was like, the new paradigm is not like left versus right or anything like that. It's more like a tension between local and global kind of thing. So like, um, what this happens, like there's culture wars. So like, what usually happens is the ideas that go, ideas that form in, in, in the global and like an urbanization in big urban cities and stuff, you know, like trickles down. I don't like to use that word, but it's like they trickle down to the, um, to the rural, to the local kind of thing. I mean, as we were saying before, like, for example, we have here in Spain, we have a lot of culture from, from America, you know, either from films, from, from music, from media, from a lot of things. So it's like, and also here, like, I live in a small town, I'm almost a village, you know, so we get influences from the bigger, from the, from the bigger cities and stuff like that. So like when, when you say like local and urban, it, um, it's like we have this idea of values that work for like um, really centralized big cities. They may work there, but when we translate them to, to local areas, to rural areas, um, it doesn't really happen that way. So we can see this leads to a lot of trouble, you know, like we can see um, without going into politics, but like with Brexit and Trump and um, I don't know, like uh, nationalisms and populism and stuff like that. So, so when trying to bring these ideas, like, because the, I think one of the objectives, this is like my personal opinion, of these culture wars, like we were saying before, is to like have everyone more or less thinking the same. If, if it's one culture, it's easier to, to, I don't know if the word would be dominate, but it, it's easier to, uh, to influence. If everybody thinks more or less the same or similar, it's easier to influence in all of them. You know, like, I don't know, say, it's just much easier than say, for example, if there's like, like you were saying, smaller different tribes where they're not as connected you know they belong to the tribe first and then to the whole idea so it's not as easy to to influence on them so i don't know if that's one of the the objectives or not with of these whole culture wars so it's interesting because so it depends i mean there's i see like very 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 large issues and there's a bunch of different ways that they present so you're talking about um if there's one model everyone's going to agree, I think uh, in one of the things I said in one of my memetics articles is that all memes aspire to the position of God, meaning in any ideology, your chief idea is going to put itself into the position of highest value, right? So mm -hmm. you could argue that the highest value it would seem on the progress side of things like the hey let's let's reevaluate everything the highest value seems to be something like tolerance right or openness to idea right like everything's on the table uh there's and i would argue even there could be an argument that there's an anti-discriminatory factor to that like an argument against the capacity to discriminate not like discrimination against people like when we're talking about legal or racial discrimination but literally the faculty of reason that discriminates like hey let's get away you know i guess uh, from what you said q that would be an anti-apollonian drive to get away from the reasoning faculty and to move back towards feelings and and emotions um the other side seems very much like an attempt to return 
two hierarchies, right? And I think that's kind of the thing that seems to be the case is that with this, whereas in history, we more or less had a reason to have these large hierarchical structures because with the nature of the world, that was the only way that you were going to be able to get people to do the same shit, right? You had to have a unified culture so your people wouldn't go to war with each other. And you can look at this, uh, like gun germs and steel, they talk about how you have uh, like hunter-gatherer bands, um, like meta tribes where you have a couple tribes that unite under like a chieftain or a warlord. Then you get like uh, city-states and then um, actual nations, nations as in the modern age, right? And it seems like all of these were increasing requirements to order things, but now we're at this place that with the internet and with, I would argue, the blockchain, we really don't seem, it seems like we could eschew a lot of that centralization and return power to the people. So, oof, man. Uh, I think Q is next. Yeah, man, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. There's, yeah, so I guess the first thing I want to bring up is, uh, are, are you guys uh, familiar with John David Ebert? Just raise a hand or not. Yes, okay, somewhat. Okay, yeah, so John David Ebert is a philosopher I've been talking to a lot. He's, uh, he used to work at the uh, Joseph Campbell Foundation, so he knows like all about Joseph Campbell again. But he also got into like McLuhan, he wrote some books regarding McLuhan. And, but he's also very familiar with like all this like postmodernist uh, philosophers and other philosophers as well. So he's, he like draws uh, from the influence of Deleuze and Heidegger and also Kant like all these philosophers everything and what he realized and he also really he's my introduction to Spangler so I know Spangler through him and what he basically says is like Spangler's almost the beginning of uh, postmodernism because because he reckon Spangler recognizes that uh, every uh, civilization they have their own values and he's not saying that one is necessarily worse than the other they're just uh, different because they're kind of different mega-organisms that need different things to survive and to live a full lifespan. Yeah, so, so anyway, he basically looked at all these different philosophies of consciousness, history, media, and everything, and he came up with this idea of hyper-modernity, which basically means that in the digital age, we're kind of like digital, digitally localizing. So we have all these localized networks, uh, network clusters, all these like different factions and tribes, but they're localized on the digital level rather than on the in like physical reality. So that's uh, John David Ebert's idea, and and I actually talked to him a lot on this topic along with a few other guys. And next, we move to uh, let me move the topic to what Garrett was talking about uh, just now, which is uh, the postmodernism as well as like what is uh, conservative and what is liberal. So, so it's more complicated than that. And uh, there's a really great diagram in this book called The, uh, the Truth About Truth by uh, I think Walt Anderson, I think that's his name. So anyway, in this diagram, basically it lays out like, it's not two poles. There's actually kind of like three different uh, section, sections. So there's the pre-modern, and then there's the modern, and then there's the postmodern. 
So, so the postmodern, it's not just like this one thing. Postmodern is basically a point of divergence. Once you get to postmodern, which is the condition of the world we live in right now, we can either people can either choose to go forward to somewhere unknown, or or they want to cycle back to the pre-modern or to the modern. So what we see is uh, you really have this very contradictory sense of like what is left and what is right, and and basically because typically you think of like. Sam Harris or whatever, the new atheists as the left, and then the Christian conservatives as the right. But both of them are modernists. They're both in the modernist context. Because uh, Sam Harris is trying to circle back to modernism and have like, this very rigid uh, framework of, uh, of like scientific atheism. And then the Christian conservatives, they want to circle back to modern modernity is this like rigid structure of like their version of Christianity. But then you also have people who are considered the right, like uh, Bronze Age pervert and the Amprimes or whatever. They want to go back to the pre-modern. And, and then you also have the so-called the left, the hippies. They also want to go back to the pre-modern, but they kind of have like different conceptions of what is pre-modern. And then you want, then you have other people who want to go beyond the postmodern, and they just want to see what are all the crazy possibilities that are possible, or they're just uh, completely nihilistic and just enjoying uh, whatever there is, like very hedonistic nihilism. And these are also there's a lot of different factions on the postmodern as well. Really, it can there can definitely be like some sort of like far right postmodernism. I've actually seen people write articles regarding that. James? Yeah, it's, uh, you guys sound to be very interested in the, in the deep philosophy stuff, whereas I suppose I skew to be more, to be more practical. I, don't, I, don't, I guess I don't sit and read philosophy books unless it's Nietzsche because he's unbelievably entertaining as well as just, just blisteringly sharp. But um, as far as I'm concerned, values are in large part derived from your biology. And I, I can't see another way around that. It's like there's, there's this idea where values seem to be some, something arbitrary. It's actually something Nietzsche got wrong. You can't go create new values. Because when people, when they talk about it, it's always this hypothetical thing. And it's like, what specifically are you talking about? So I think values are a biological thing. It's, and it's like we are limited by sexual dynamics and masculinity and femininity. They will always be one thing. You cannot go and change that biology. And I think going back and rediscovering values gets a lot of, gets a lot of slack. It's like you're living in sort of an archaic time. It's like, no, what, what, what is the best for us as a society to, to, to do? What should we hold as God? You know, if, if you're in, under Nazi Germany, it would be the state, for example. If, if you're under a Marxist regime, it would be, well, it would also be the state, but it would be more like equality, completely flatten out the distribution, even though you can't do that. Under Christianity, it would be like capital T truth. It's like, which, which is the one that we should pick from? And it's like, so, so the culture war has, uh, did you say something? That's, I, I don't know that necessarily Christianity has a monopoly on the truth, but uh, continue. Well, that's, that's, that's the idea is that individuality is at the heart of Christianity. And generally speaking, the God is, is capital T truth. I'm not saying it has a, a, a monopoly. It's like, that's the idea. And that's why they produce science as well as, as a consequence of it developing, which really, so that was Nietzsche's idea of like the will to truth eventually killing itself. 
which which is a really crippling idea. It's like we have some kind of for no reason we value truth for some strange reason. It's almost metaphysical, and then our will to truth goes and reveals that we have no truth. So it sort of cripples us. It's this endless cycle. It's like, well, that sucks. What the hell are we going to do about that? But um, when it comes when it comes to to the culture war has intimately affected me like a, a really really big deal working in academia it's it's horrendous and it, and it generally skews it to be like if you are conservative if you are traditional if you are christian anything that might be considered somewhere on the right wing or somewhere based in uh, a hierarchy of excellence rather than a hierarchy of equality then you're bad and this, this is the dangerous thing this is religious thinking whereas it's not I disagree with you in a rational way. Lots of us like to think we can sit and have a rational conversation like this, but this isn't how most people operate. It's, it's you are bad. And it's like their, their filter of bad is the most low resolution category possible. And because it's so low resolution, you are Hitler. It's why Trump is Hitler, because Hitler is the antichrist in our, in our, in our culture. So, so, so getting specific on it, it's we've, we've created a new religion which isn't going to work out. And the only way to fix this is to either let it run its course and let us all destroy ourselves. That's exactly what we're going to do or lead by example and live the values, which you, which you, like this is the problem with people who sit on 4chan all day and like complain, Oh, the, the government's out to get me. The culture war's affecting me. It's like, you don't act as if you care. So like, why don't you go and make your, like they complain about masculinity being attacked, for example, it's like, go be a masculine man and then prove them right. That that's actually the correct system of values or at least correct for this particular time frame, but that's pragmatism. That's like the only correctness you could ever possibly know. It's like, why don't we go ahead and do that rather than, rather than either sit around and complain about it or, or be all postmodern about it and say, well, and, and in really arbitrary terms and really blanket terms, like all that stuff is completely silly. We can go create new things, new ground equality. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? You have no idea what the hell you're doing. All right. I got something and then we're going to go Jordan, Ben and Q. Um, so there's basically from, from my understanding of it, right? Nisha says, hey, let's transvalue all the values, right? Postmodernism comes from that, that force. And you said, you know, Spengler was part of that too. But the vast majority of, uh, like you said, there's these issues with the academic institutions because of the overtime, their the increasing emphasis on the Apollonian and the denial of the Dionysian, their emphasis on the mind, they become detached from reality, right? And this transvaluation of values is a hey, there are facts about the world that counter uh, that contradict my method of operation. So I'm going to try and change the uh, you know either come up with a new system that it, it gets around these facts so that I can continue to operate in the way that I'm comfortable operating, right? Now. There is one person that did, uh, it's, that did something other than, hey, let's go back and take the old values, or hey, throw them all out and make some new ones. Rand, uh, Ayn Rand, uh, her premise was, well, let's try and come up with a system of values and tie it to reality, right? So valuation being a completely mental activity, but let's root that in the tangible world, right? The objective world. Now, she, um, the one thing that I've tried to do uh, that is probably evident if anyone's read the last three months of what I've been doing on my blog is to add a metaphysics to that because her metaphysics is, if I remember correctly, it is literally just the axiom existence exists, which I agree with. And that is correct, but it is not a high enough resolution 
explanation of it. But so her idea is, all right, existence exists, right? Well, you have to be alive to have values, right? So life is the foundation of all values, right? Existence exists, you're alive. Values then are things that keep you alive, right? So that becomes a method, and I agree with this, and this is a lot of my, my philosophy is just a refinement on that concept, but rather than having a metaphysic realm, like in the sense of how you use metaphysics, James, uh, or rather than throwing out any possibility of values being tangible, if we tie them to life as the core thing that value should serve, then we can actually make a coherent system of values. And we can say, well, this culture has a system of values and this one has a system, but this one serves life more, right? This, these values over time are not going to serve life. And her, her philosophy is basically all built on that. And it ends up being more heavy in the politics and the ethics than I'm more heavy into the metaphysics and the epistemology of things. But um, I do want to propose that that is a third answer that both of uh, that the postmodern and the pre-modern approaches uh, approaches seem to neglect or not address. Uh, shit. Okay, so I said uh, I think Jordan, Ben, Q, and then James. Okay, so going from sorry, I'm just <laughs> trying to get my thoughts, especially after what Q said earlier. I'm still trying to get past that. Jesus Christ. Um, regarding what James said on the idea of values being derived from biology and what you expanded upon, I think that is absolutely correct from what I've read and from what I've kind of attempted to deduce. Um, one thing I would add to that is it's interesting because that same argument is it plays perfectly into the argument of, I suppose, if we're all sitting here debating, oh, well, th this is, we're ultimately trying to say, this is the reason to keep living. This is the reason to keep doing good. This is the reason to keep creating. And the funny thing is that you have people who take those exact same premises and they go away and they go, well, you know, if values exist on the basis of biology, then that means that they are they are ultimately distractions created by our by us subconsciously in order to keep the genes alive, and so I suppose that's just something that came to mind in regards to if you want to dis, if you want to imagine that kind of that mode of taking ideas and manipulating them as being one of the main weapons within this. If we're going to use the metaphor of warfare for the culture war, then that's kind of what you're contending with. Especially, and I mean, if you're taking the ideas of Rand and applying a metaphysic, that's going to be very... I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that, by the way. Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely, uh, completely bamboozled. I apologize. Move on to Ben. It'll come back to me. Okay. Yeah, it usually, it usually happens, Jordan. It's like sometimes you, you know, you, you try to give an answer to what someone said, but then like they keep on, like yeah. there's, there's millions of ideas where to get through. So it's like... The pre-modern, the post-modern, and the hyper-modern, and the modern. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I swear. I mean, okay, well, I want to... I mean, I think this is an answer, like talking about this, I think this is an answer to what one of the things like James was saying before. And like, I just think people need to go out more. And I'm not saying it as in like 
she's like, people need to like leave the, like they leave this. I mean, I could be a culprit for this too, but I mean, it seems to me like everyone's living in like their own ivory tower and their own mental, their mental bubble kind of thing. So it's, it's a bit like what we were saying before, like when he was saying academia and like everything else bad kind of things. I think it stems from the thing that like, we were talking about solipsism in the last episode. And it's like, people cannot comprehend anything other than inside their, inside their circle, anything outside, they just cannot, not that they say, okay, yeah, I understand, but I don't agree. It's like, it's literally, they cannot comprehend that anything outside, outside of their own little circle is, is, um, can be true, can be real, can be, you know, so that's why when they say, oh, this bad, bad, bad kind of thing, it's like, they can't leave this own, I don't know, solipsistic ivory towel bubble kind of thing. And um, this might be a bit off topic, but I'd say like one of the answers maybe is um, to this whole culture war, or like maybe one of the solutions is, I saw this video, uh, great, um, tagged me on once uh, the other day. It's like creating your own country. And it seems like people now, they can create their own country in a way like, you know, everyone gets together, you know, everyone's believing in a similar idea or belief or values and stuff. And say, just go to, I don't know, any existing nation and say, look, we want to form a country here. We've got our own currency. We want a few, I don't know, some tax incentives and we're going to bring some more money and stuff like that. And it, maybe it could be a solution. Maybe it couldn't. I'm just throwing it out there. That's, I mean, that's definitely something that I've, uh, I've considered, but I think that is a bit, um, that may have to be a different podcast. Um, okay. Q? Oh, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot to talk about. So, so let's focus on the biology. And so, so yeah, I do agree with uh, what James and Jared had said earlier, which is that the values do stem from biology. And, but here's the thing, because we're constantly evolving, we're evolving organisms where the uh, environment changes, our biology changes over the generations, the value cannot be a static platonic form type of thing. That's gonna be universal for every single population. It's, the values ultimately kind of uh, stem from our impulses and from our impulses, it's like our impulses, uh, how do our impulses imp interact with external reality and that eventually kind of like becomes the values so so because different people live in such different environments and i think it's like diverging well i don't know if it's, if it's diverging or converging right now it's, it's that's like another complicated topic but, but anyway uh throughout history people have lived in very different uh environments and that's why you see the cultural values of the different societies end up being very, very different because they're essentially they're like all these like tiny experiments running in parallel to figure out what's the most adaptive values for that specific culture's environment. And and this is kind of uh, what this uh, scientist uh, or I think this some sort of scientist David Stone Wilson he talks about it. He talks about uh, oh like. He talks about group selection, that's what it is. So he's kind of like, I guess he's kind of somewhat in conflict with uh, Richard Dawkins regarding like how natural selection works. So David Sloan Wilson is big on group selection and, and he talks about how the values are different for different populations. And, and I think Jonathan Hyde, he also cites David Sloan Wilson 
when he talks about, when he has this book, Righteous Mind, which talks about how people can be right in their own mental frameworks because they have certain um, impulses and that's how they value different values, like in different ratios. And this kind of brings us back to the point of our modern contemporary society, which is that we're in a point in history where we get to modify our own biology in ways that weren't possible before. So this is like a very non-lindy transformation of biology. Because nowadays we have all these uh, genetically modified foods and we have all these drugs and we're allowed to put hormones in our bodies in all these different ways. This is something that has never been possible in nature or in previous societies. So you have this like rapid uh, experimentation in transhumanism. So therefore, when you experiment so much with our biology, you necessarily have to experiment more with our value system. Because once you change that biology, you need to figure out how does your biology adapt to the natural environment. And this really ties back into our conversation last week where, where um, James Conner and I talked a lot about the, like all these changes in, in our food supplies and stuff and why that might be like the cause of uh, like transgenderism and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, hold up. And, and I guess uh, another person you might want to invite to the podcast eventually maybe for future episodes one of my friends uh, Diego Calero he kind of expands upon um, David Stone Wilson's work and he's trying to figure out okay what is the optimal values for that society can have so so like which population group is going to be running the culture so to speak and sometimes his ideas get quite radical but he kind of like flips flops between wanting to convert to Judaism or Christianity, but he's kind of like, but his personality is basically like a very utilitarian atheist. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and let, let me bring up another point, uh, uh, just another framework, which is uh, Robert Kagan's uh, Stages of Cognitive Development. So this is a, a, a psychologist who expanded upon the works of uh, John Piaget, who has this uh, cognitive development framework where you start from the sensory motor stage when you're a little baby, you know the world only through movement and your senses. And then as you get older, you start to develop uh, uh, inductive reasoning and then deductive reasoning. And then what Kagan says is like, this doesn't just end at the beginning of adulthood. Actually, throughout your life, even as an adult, you keep on developing. And you develop all these, like, you start to, you go from, like, this way of, like, interpersonal relationships, you start to understand them, like, putting yourself in other people's shoes, that's Kagan's stage three, but that's basically uh, Piaget's last stage. He says it goes beyond there to a more systematic view of the world, which is what engineers tend to have, but then you kind of realize that the systematic isn't enough because all systems eventually break down because there's all these sorts of exceptions. And you kind of realize you need meta system, you need to go meta systematic where you kind of need to apply different systems to different contexts. And, and this is like 
get through the meta systematic stage, that's like something very, very few people reach. And, and if you do reach it, it's like you're like an elder. Like you're probably in your fifties mm-hmm. or something for most people anyway. And, and basically what uh, Kagan says is that in this uh, postmodern world, we need more and more people at at least stage four. And, and the problem with like postmodernism with philosophy itself is that it's trying to bring people from like stage five to no, stage three to stage five or skipping stage four, but you can't do that. You're gonna have to develop those like stages with, uh, by going through the prerequisites or else you're just very confused and you end up becoming very novelistic. This is a Keegan stages of cognitive, what was the name? Should I have a look at later? Yeah, yeah, so there's this book called uh, Evolving Self, another one called like In Over Our Heads. I'll, I'll send the link to you guys later. Okay, perfect. James? Yeah, I want to buffer what Q was saying, I suppose, because when you were saying that, that um, our values adapt, depending on the environment and environmental changes. And of course, that's how evolutionary evolution works. But what you weren't saying, and I need to make this clear, what you were not saying is that it's arbitrary. Because obviously, if, it's like, if it varies between cultures, then it must be arbitrary, right? It's like, no, 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 no. But something very interesting is we're not yeah, really evolving anymore from a natural selection perspective. It's like we, we've now mastered the environment, more or less. So, so any, any, and say for like a massive famine or something, or a massive virus that we're not going to be able to build technology against, which is highly unlikely at this stage, we're not going to be evolving from a natural selection perspective. But female sexual selection is still a limiter. And it's like, you can't change that. So, so in, in many ways, our, our values have come from our biology, but then our values will actually influence the gene pool in subsequent generations. Because if someone's got a dodgy value system, which means they're like, I'm now a nihilist and I'm going to go kill myself, you come out of the gene pool. Or, or, or if it's like, I think that masculinity and femininity are arbitrary. I'm going to go behave like a woman now. And, and, and you, you start behaving, we'll say, in manners which are very unattractive to the opposite sex. Then the chances of your genes being passed on are, are very, very, very slim. So it's like, this is what's limited it. So if values are biological, then they've been transmitted by us, like new machines, whatever. We've been transmitted. They've come through us. So therefore, they must exist for a reason. They can't exist arbitrarily. Now, like some things like Marxism have come about arbitrarily and then they don't work. So it's like when you look at all the religious traditions that have ever existed, they start off in a really sort of proto form and then they slowly evolve a system of morals over a long period of time. It's like when I've looked at the, at the Bible, I cannot, I, I cannot fathom how anyone can look at that and think that's not a moral thing. I don't, I don't, I'm open to, to attack on that, but I've not found a single thing in there which is, unless you try and deliberately misinterpret it, where it's like, this is not a good idea. Because they've, they, it wasn't something somebody wrote one day. It's like these, these have evolved over a long period of time. And then the philosophers come along and then they almost try and articulate what the unconscious knew all along, unless they become a complete and utter radical. And then but those radicals seem to be what's, what's most frequent these days. It's like, it's not going to work out for any of us. We, we cannot do away with the values which have, which have cradled our civilization. The, 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 christian values you can devoid them of the metaphysics if you want to and that's what carl jung did that's why i like jung because he basically took religion and was like we can keep the values just think of it psychologically the values are personified in characters of the collective unconscious that's fine of course that's more complicated for we'll say, the average person to be able to invest time into but as far as i'm concerned that's the way forward save for absolute massive disaster
I got two things for that. Uh, first, this is something I've been playing with, especially after last week, but there's, uh, so, okay, let's talk. There's a variety of cases, right? Okay, so if you're gay, transgender, well, okay, look, if you have any kind of um, identity that you've constructed that does not involve reproducing, we would have to probably adjust values for that because the, the, the core most important value system is going to be regarding people who are reproducing. Basically, after your life is over, if you haven't reproduced, you're irrelevant uh, as far as genetics are concerned, right? Um, so if, I mean, I guess that would be really the thing is you can, uh, see, we're lumping too many things together right here. There's too many, like, there's, okay, well, there's personal values. Okay. How do I want to act? What do I want to, um, structure my life around? How am I going to, uh, ethics? How am I going to relate to others, right? Politics. How should I be, uh, applying these ethics to society, right? Oh, man. There's so much that was said in that last bit that I need to hit. Um, fuck. So as far as, I guess, I guess basically there's the, the core value system that I am concerned with largely is going to be values that support life for people that choose to continue life by reproducing, right? Everyone else gets a little bit of leeway, but it's dangerous because they are also interacting with that core group. Are you you're leaving? Okay, James is out. James has got to go do uh, something with Johnny English or the Queen. So uh, Johnny we'll English, fantastic reference. Appreciate that. Bye bye. Love you all. See you. <laughs> um, the other thing I guess that I wanted to hit on that the the issue that I see with Christianity is mainly that the system of values constructed lends very well to a society that is pre-individualism and it fails utterly after individualism arises as a thing because the notion of uh, being your brother's keeper, self-sacrifice, all of these things are, are anti-individualistic, right? I think part of the thing that we're seeing, postmodernist um, thought, all of that really serves individualism well but a kind of individualism that's untethered from reality, whereas Christianity serves the collective very well, but also a collective that's kind of untethered from reality because the fundamental proposition is that their miracles occurred and we built a philosophy around that. So the, the issue that I have, you can't, uh, Gerard, yeah, Gerard has a good, um, he did a very good job of trying to ground that in, reality the issue is that it's still i i don't know i've I, at least halfway through um uh things hidden since the foundation of the world fantastic book by Rene gerard but uh gerard's thesis is that okay all all human societies could be reduced to violence and the sacralization of violence as the founding element of culture i really don't uh the, the i think it's an oversimplification um, and I think that I probably shouldn't have brought that up because that's going to derail us hard, but, um, we may have to do an ILO. Let's talk about that when we do our ILO, uh, because okay. I know you, <laughs> I can see you're, you're in to talk about that. The, the major thing though, that, uh, that I find issue with is that the ethical moral system of Christianity does not function if you take out the metaphysical element. 
And Stephen Fox has talked about this a lot in his video series, but the, the problem is if you accept the metaphysical element, you have, it precludes the capacity to base anything in reality because there's one, if there's a metaphysical thing that exists that contradicts everything we know about reality, you do not have the capability to reason accurately, right? So let's say, um, let's use a, a spurious example. Some dude, some dude flew once in the past, right? And nobody yet has figured out how to fly, but that one guy did. And we have to assume that that's true. The problem is that every other judgment you try to make in light of that information is going to contradict that fact. Meaning, okay, well, we know people can't fly because everyone's tried to fly and only that guy succeeded in the past. So there, Occam's razor comes into play. Like either that guy didn't fly or we have a vastly contradictory complex reality that, you know, pulls the whole thing apart and you can't build values in a system where uh, a supernatural metaphysics exists. And that's one of the things that I've tried very, very hard to do is to extricate a lot of the value from these older systems that are good. But the problem is that they have good things, but there is a large foundation that's built in irrationality that doesn't function if, if you're going to try and live rationally in the world. Cute. Yeah, that's that's a lot you just talked about. <laughs> so, so I don't know if I want to place that much emphasis on metaphysics. It's like a lot of people they don't even know what their metaphysics is, and they see all sorts of contradictory things, and they're just arriving. But yeah. So anyway, I kind of want to go back to group selection. So, so definitely, you need to have a good amount of like uh, reproducing numbers of society. So. I think in the past, in the history, I don't know, I don't have the exact numbers, but basically almost all the women reproduced while like half, only half the men reproduced, something like that. And we're kind of coming to a point where we have to deal with that problem again. And it's not necessarily like you shouldn't have uh, people who don't reproduce. It's just kind of recognizing that how do we optimize for like the welfare of the whole population. Well, actually, maybe not everyone wants to optimize for that, but I think that's kind of what evolution is optimizing for uh, on a kind of like a algorithmic level. And, and that's where you kind of see all these other uh, societies that have like very different values. So, so for example, if you look in the ancient past, there's a lot of other civilizations where that all make slaves for and that's kind of like how a lot of the males were. And then that's how they created a stable society where only half the males get to reproduce. Or you have societies where all the men went to war and only half of them survived. So those are the ones who get to reproduce. But now we're kind of in this uh, situation where there's no no slaves, no slavery, and no, <laughs> no crazy wars that kills all the males. So now like where do you put the energy of like these like, Males who don't fit in, and that's where you see like this rise of like all these new configurations. And we don't really know exactly how to deal with that yet, but like still in other societies, like all these like at least it's hypothesized like these like gays and transgenders they could have been like shamans who kind of like 
serve as some, some, sort of, some sort of like support role. Like I always imagine like if you're playing like a team-based uh, online shooter or something, you could be like the, they could be like the medics and they're not necessarily on the front line like contributing much to like killing the other team, but they could serve some sort of medic role. So maybe they don't need to reproduce. Well, yeah, no, that's, this is the, the problem. I, I, I think this has come across wrong both times I brought this up. The problem is this is not in any sense. I, what I'm saying is technically there is a separate morality for people to choose to reproduce and people to do not, right? Yeah. You have to, like, when you're, if you choose to have kids, your life is not about you anymore, right? You have to make long-term choices. You don't get to, you don't get to live for yourself, right? Um, if you choose not to, you're separate from that system, so we can't demonize you with the laws of system A if you're part of system B. So, it, and none of that should be construed to suggest that I'm suggesting there's it's anything inherently wrong with it. Everyone has free will and should be allowed to choose to live in whatever way they want. And if you choose not to reproduce, you have a far greater amount of freedom and you could probably live a higher quality life overall, I would say, than someone that does choose to reproduce. The difference is that we need people to reproduce and we need a philosophy that serves that because that's the fundamental baseline for anyone having a good life in the first place is we need people, right? Um, I think there's definitely something to be said for that though because if you look at like Native American cultures, there was like the three spirit people who were, uh, they, used, they had at least uh, in a lot of Native American civilizations, at least three gender roles. And one of them was, or two spirit people, I think, where they were like in between a lot of the, the dude ones were dressed like chicks and vice versa. And they would perform some kind of shamanistic type role. I would, I, I, I think I can extrapolate uh, that as being a, uh, an expression of a more modern philosophy that I think we're seeing emerge in a lot of people now. And I think that the physical manifestation, the people desiring to physically change from male to female is largely a manifestation of this internal uh, polarity conflict that we're seeing, right? Where the lines are becoming blurred, the roles are becoming blurred. And I think we externalize stuff to, uh, I call this ritualization, but we externalize things before we create an abstract internal concept of them. So the people acting this out are actually in a precognitive stage of the development, right? Whereas what we need to be internalizing is the capacity for people to see both the, the chaos and the order mind or the masculine and the feminine perspectives, the opposite of respectively. I got those backwards. Uh, ben. Okay. Um, this is going to be like a quick intervention. It was like, what was, uh, what Q was saying before where like with the, all this, like basically people are not dying enough. So there's, you know, there's natural selection is not, not working as, as it used to be, you know, like there's a lot of great things from it and there's a lot of um, not so great things from it. And like one of the things he was saying was, uh, he was saying was these, this emergence of different, uh, I don't know if it was concepts or, or, I know it wasn't movements, but I don't know if it was concepts, ideas. I, I don't exactly know what it was. I know it was like emergence of many new things. And um, maybe this war in the culture, like tying back to that, as, as I said before, the med, uh, we're approaching that metasystem transition where we need a, a higher, an upper layer, a higher level of organization to make sense out of everything. If we don't, I don't know what, I, I don't know what that final layer will be. I, um, I have no idea. I don't know if it will be a monoculture. I don't know if it will be uh, localism. I have no, I have no bloody idea. 
but it is true though that most um most extinction is is endogenous so like if we don't organize our, our, ourselves quickly or if we don't organize the cultures or if we don't organize whatever it'll it'll bring it'll lead to either chaos and i don't know extinction like the system will fall apart because i mean if we don't have a, a, a way of organizing all this um house of cards that we're creating it once it's like i don't know it's like tetris i don't know it's like you lay the foundation so like this top upper layer will serve the foundation for future complexity so if we're not capable of 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 reaching this layer this base which a strong one that will tie everything together and like no loose ends um we could end up in a really bad place yeah um I'm going to say let's do one last round. Uh, Q, you can start, and then we're going to wrap up from there because we're getting close. By the time we get done, we should be very close to hour 20, hour 30. So go ahead, Q. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I agree with everything you just said, uh, Garrett. And I, I think here's the main point that I think people miss, and it's a very nuanced point that's like difficult for people to kind of like balance in their heads, which is that um, you, can, you can accept people without really saying that they should fit in with everyone else. You should kind of like accept that there's are certain roles that outsiders need to play and they should kind of remain somewhat separate. And, and that's kind of like essentially the separation between the reproducing and the non-reproducing members of society. And you brought a very good point, like the, the reproducing members of society and non-reproducing, they obviously have to live by different values and different rule sets and we should just let it be that way and we shouldn't just say like oh the gays or whatever they're just like everyone else they're not but at the same time like when you say they're not like everyone else it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to kill all of them or whatever it's just that you're recognizing that they're playing a very different role in society and they don't need to fit in the way that you do and this is kind of like goes back to what I say when we talk about strategy, which is the, the strategy of goal is basically like you don't necessarily need to crush them. You just, you're not trying to crush the other side. You're just trying to find the right balance. What is the proper ratio between uh, the reproducing members of society and non-reproducing? So, so you see like also the problem of declining birth rate. So maybe, you should actually have like, I don't know, like these like non-reproducing members of society, maybe they should actually support the, their, I don't know, their friends and their family who are trying to have kids and just kind of like play that support role to allow them to have more kids. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, uh, I guess I would say, I think that the emergence of non-reproductive roles in society is actually beneficial because the birth rate needs to go down if we're going to have um, a post-industrial economy work. Um, Benji. Okay, like just to wrap it up, like we were saying before, um, what Q was saying, like uh, the people that um, don't reproduce, like um, they should uh, in some way help people that do. It's like, it can go down i mean i kind of agree because i mean hopefully in the in the future we'll have you know like a million kids and stuff like that but like um it can go slippery it can go down a really slippery slope as in, as i don't know if you've ever heard of like the bachelor tax and stuff like that it was basically it was like um 
people that did, wouldn't reproduce, you know, like paying, I don't know, either higher taxes or maybe higher taxes or, or basically, you know, it was like, it was a tax on bachelorhood kind of thing. And, um, it could limit freedom, you know, so like maybe you've, I mean, I don't know, road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know? So, I mean, I do agree that maybe, you know, like not pay attention to people that reproduce because I mean, everybody should be pay, everybody should be paid attention, but it's like, maybe it should be found some new configuration or something where like people have skin in the game for their kids, you know, and people that don't kind of thing. Yeah. There's, that's, uh, um, yeah, that's a good point. Shit. I thought I had something. Uh, Jordan, closing thoughts, I guess. Um, Jesus Christ. You three have taken me well out of my depth. Um, uh, I suppose the only thing I can remark on is uh, with any kind of certainty is what Benjamin said about um, having skin in the game through having a family. And I think it's not just a case of I think if you've read Talab, it's not just that distinction of having skin in the game, but having soul in the game. It's like there's a there's a deeper value that comes. This is just my personal opinion, of course, but um, there is a deeper value and a deeper level of morality, a deeper subset of morality that is gained through producing progeny, and I do believe that that is absolutely integral. So I I think that that's. That's probably the best you're going to get out of me. <laughs> yeah, you're too smart you. for me. You're too smart for me. I, I, I surrender. <laughs> Closing thoughts, Q? Yeah, so I just, through this conversation, we discovered the real enemy are the anti-natalists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually 100% yeah, agree with that. Why did they just kill themselves, big fucking <laughs> Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, life's bad. Do something about it, you fucking jackass. Sorry. Life is miserable, so buy my book so you can find out more. Just yeah, exactly. <laughs> hypocrites. They're the biggest hypocrites. Like, just shut up and go shoot yourself, you bitch. Damn. If you're not going to do that, then come up with an alternative solution. You've chosen to live. Oh, boy. Uh, sorry, I, I hate them the most. No, no, so. no, no. We, we'll have to have a conversation on that. That'd be yeah. very interesting. We could do an dialogue on antinatalism. I could talk about that for hours. I've got, I've got an article on the child-free movement, like saying ideas that will basically die because they don't reproduce. Like, if I don't have any kids to pass on the idea, you know, like memetics and stuff, well, I mean, there will always be a bit of a residual. And, but, I mean, I think it was a, as an idea, it will die once most of the antinatalists, well, don't leave any kids the the beautiful thing is that it, my theory is that in the long term uh, all the people that do reproduce will end up being people that are largely happier than the people that didn't because the people that aren't happy either kill themselves or don't have kids right so the people that find some value in that are actually selecting genetically for people that find value in living which is kind of i mean it's kind of I don't know that that's necessarily cause and effect. They're both kind of the same thing, but it's interesting to think about that. I think over time, like a hundred thousand years from now, if they're still living things, they're going to be having a fucking great time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if basically, if you have kids when you, when you're old, you're surrounded by life. If you don't have kids when you're old, you're surrounded by death. Yep. But that's it. We make that choice consciously all the time, whether, yeah. In everything we do, if we want to, you know, if 
if there are rules that life imposes on us, like, well, if you don't, um, I don't know, if you like, <laughs> it, then, no, I was, was going to say, if you get like tattoos on your face, but there's, I just saw some dude with tattoos all over his head walking down the street with some chick. So there's somebody for everybody, as long as you're willing to play, play the game, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I guess it almost seems like you can make a differential equation or like a set of like rate equations to model like birth rates and stuff, like how many people are want to reproduce how much and how many people don't want to reproduce how many people are anti-natalist and kind of even predict the outcome of the cultural war like in the far future if you have the rate equations uh, down properly. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long run, I, barring just if we're looking at pure, purely reproduction as a statistic, in the long run, the people that support life win, but that you have to come into the question of like at what life under what terms, life at what cost, you know, because we could easily fuck ourselves into some Stalinistic hellhole, you know, and there there could be tons of people reproducing because you need to have kids go work in the coal mine or some shit, but that's not that's not a good standard of living. So I'm more con unless con anti-natalists are fundamentally irrelevant because they will they always die out, you know? Uh, I guess they're spreading their ideas is more concerning, but if you have a good psychic immune system, you can keep that shit out, you know? Um, I'm more concerned about people propagating that philosophy without knowing it. So if um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of anti-life philosophies that exist. That's a different, that's a hundred, hours of discussion though uh, that's a different topic so Definitely. any uh, closing closing thoughts on this one and then we'll end, try and end on a nice note <laughs> i'm i'm okay i think what we've learned here is that the contents of this ionosphere podcast really could be handled better in three separate dialogues <laughs> well see that's it's like, this is an extended trailer for three dialogues. <laughs> um that's that's kind of how I see it, though, is we have these conversations, we find points of contention, and then you branch off and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation, try and hammer out your terms. So, for example, uh, that's, that's irrelevant. Uh, all right. Well, if anyone else has anything else, go for it. Um, if not, have a good one, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're an anti-natalist, I hate you, and you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're not reproducing. <laughs>